You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the oh, sixth episode of Bugs, entitled Stealth. A synopsis of the episode. Tronics, a company run by a charming chap named O'Neill, is producing an introductory video for their new car, the Trancer. It's an advanced car with advanced technology that will revolutionize the automotive industry. But they are being rushed to introduce the vehicle to the world. During a recent test track session, industrial spies got pictures of the new vehicle, and now Tronics must rush to stake their public claim to the design before a competitor makes it their own. Things don't go to plan when the models hired to add a bit of sex appeal to the presentation steal the car right during the video shoot. Time to call in Team Bugs for a security check. The car stolen, however, was a mock-up and did not contain any of the revolutionary technology. All of that is disguised in a very ordinary-looking test car that allows them to test the car on the roads in real-world conditions without arousing attention. While reviewing security of the facility, Roz gets trapped inside a deadly plasma cage in an off-limits area. There's a very unpleasant major from a foreign power that's doing business with Tronics, and it's just best of them to stay out of the area in their investigation. Next day, Ed takes the test car out for its pre-planned test ride. The technology in this car is amazing. Not only does it start with Touch ID, but the rear-view mirror uses eye tracking to automatically adjust to the driver's line of vision. This will turn the auto industry on its ear. On a tea break, the industrial spies who stole the mock-up car have arranged an elaborate ambush. One has obtained employment at the roadside tea shop and keeps an eye on Ed and Beckett, while the other artfully places a van, partially obscuring the vehicle so that Ed and Beckett feel confident they have an eye on it, while at the same time granting her access to the rear window and a way to get inside and take pictures. Back at the facility, Roz sees that a person has entered the vehicle and alerts the boys, but they are stymied in their efforts to get outside, giving the spies the chance to escape on a motorbike with the pictures. Ed pursues them in the test vehicle, driving like a madman he is, but another apparently incidental piece of technology in the car kicks in. Having detected reckless driving, it goes into fully automatic driving mode and slowly and safely returns the vehicle to the facility. They're fired but immediately rehired when they point out that the culprits must have had inside information. This time, they really buckle down on the security and discover that someone has wired a cell phone into their email system, which explains how they were able to lay such an elaborate trap. They use this information to lay a trap of their own. That plan doesn't go well either. This time, the spies kidnap Ed and force him to drive the car to their HQ where they disassemble the car, photograph the technology, then plant explosives. And while Roz and Beckett are able to track them down, it's too late, and the car and their HQ are blown to pieces. We do learn, though, that the spies, Sarita and Davina, are the daughters of O'Neill's former business partner, whom he ruined. 
they've gotten into the industrial espionage game not just because it's lucrative, but because it gives them a chance at revenge against O'Neill. Ross doubles down again on security, but Ed is feeling very uncomfortable with O'Neill, and especially the menacing major that's still prowling around. While Roz and Beckett work on security, Ed does some industrial espionage himself, getting into O'Neill's files and learning about the mysterious military vehicle O'Neill is working on for the Major. But he's caught by them. Meanwhile, Team Girl Spy One have again bypassed all the security and gotten into the secure area, and have bypassed the cameras and the high-tech handprint scanner. The Major's guards intervene semi-successfully. Davina is captured. The other escapes with a military vehicle. Ed and Davina are held as hostages in the plasma cage, with Roz and Beckett at, tasked with tracking down the vehicle. Sarita doesn't understand that the vehicle is powered by an RTG, a radioactive thermal generator, and contains a chunk of plutonium. She begins to dismantle the vehicle to get some pictures, then packs it full of explosives. She then offers to turn it over to the Major in exchange for her sister. Team Bugs do manage to track her down first, at their new HQ, and warn her of the danger. If the bomb explodes, the plutonium will irradiate all of the UK. Unfortunately, she secured it in place with super-duper, hyper-fast-acting, quick-quick-quick-drying cement, making it impossible to remove the bomb. Her tampering has activated the drive-safely-to-home mode, and the vehicle, a mobile time bomb, leaves without them. Beckett uses the very important plot point that the vehicle will not run into cars or people to get in long enough for him, and later Roz, to get on board during the return journey. They extract the plutonium and dump it on the street, but the vehicle and the explosives inexorably return to home, the plasma cage containing Ed and Davina. The Major turns on O'Neill and leaves him to die. But he recovers soon enough that he could let Ed and Davina out of the cage, but he chooses not to, instead deciding a scorched earth policy will be good for his rebuilding of his empire plans. Apparently sensing O'Neill's inherent evilness, the military vehicle overrides its own safety protocols and not only runs him over, but pushes him into the plasma cage, killing him and creating a tunnel in which Ed and Davina can escape seconds before the explosion goes off destroying the facility. Also, somewhere along the line, we learned that Paul, a largely incidental character, was also a spy, and he left the country undetected and unmolested by our heroes. It's all's well that ends well, and Team Bugs even have a cool new toy in Roz's home. A race car set powered by the plutonium core of an RTG, without the actual RTG. The end. <laughs> well... <clears throat> What do you think of this episode? Still. It's well, it ends well. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely the best tag scene we've had to date. Um, <laughs> on it? that basis, then, yeah, it's all's well. Though there may be one or two things that weren't actually well in this. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, um, I didn't dislike the episode. Don't get me wrong. But it sure is a sort of disjointed mess. It's contrived, I think. I mean, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, there we I'm go. Not sure contrived, call it dis- disjointed, but it, it's more that the the things that the episode wants to achieve, it, it it's not quite cleverly constructed enough to do it. They don't flow um, logically. Yeah, yeah. It's you. It, it's a it's an artful skill, I think, to be able to hide certain um, 
plot twists or essentially the bait and switch in this is I only say all's well that ends well in terms of the story itself let's ju- let's just review a moment well the client's dead yeah um, <laughs> his factory the, is dead the thieves are fine and that that and, is kind of what we are supposed to accept is all's well that ends well because there is this bait and switch where we are we we come into it on the client side because we've been we you know our, our heroes have been hired um by them and yet there's always going to be a problem with an opening like that which is that you kind of admire the thieves going in dressed as models stealing the car and so you don't want them to get their come up and actually you're rooting for them to triumph and then of course the the whole thing the the, the kind of nastiness of the Michael Feast character gets built up so that in in the the conclusion of the story you can you can justify that it's fine that he gets knocked into his own plasma cage and zapped to death and uh, I, yeah. and and the, our, our thieves who have kidnapped Ed have nearly Kidnap- blown up Ed and are, committed murder are, are yeah they have a, there's a combination there of either kind of reckless disregard for human life and incompetence or mm-hmm. actual um, you know malicious felony and so the, the it feels like despite all of the contrivances you haven't quite earned that ending they don't deserve to get away no and and it would be nice to know if they did get away i mean i i i, I only half joke about the murder i mean technically the fact that they stole the vehicle not knowing what they were doing if not premeditated murder the fact that they packed it with bombs and then because they didn't know what they were doing the vehicle returned to home and killed o'neill and you know how many other people that were in that factory yeah when it went off or how many people who were next door to their their place where they were taking the photos of the the first car or you know i mean it's just there's an awful lot of dynamite in this episode blowing stuff up in a big way <laughs> and you're just like that that seems like a really bad i know they weren't i don't know they were going to blow the vehicle up right where it was where it did blow up because it had been disassembled yes, yes, yes. it couldn't go anywhere yes. yeah no 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 but, i mean all all of that was intentional and in order in order for, in order for you to give them a pass on that i think i think you both need to know that they are being very careful about what they blow up and who they blow up yeah. and also you need some greater justification for why they are blowing people up then they're a bit che- cheesed off about what the guy did to their daddy and they fancy a career in industrial espionage. What was it that they said they were going to do? I didn't write it down. When, when he asked what they got into industrial espionage, she said they were, there was something else they were going to do and it was relatively mundane, but I, I didn't write it down. And I just thought, wow, this, that's a weird bit of dialogue. <laughs> and yeah, the, I mean, the contrivance that... that they're the daughters of his partner and he ruined his partner and he didn't know they were them and and that they're that they didn't get into industrial espionage to destroy him or revenge they just got into industrial espionage because it sounds like a great career move 
and we yes, get to yes, go after yes. him first. That's so but, weird. But, but, but well, it's weird because I I suspect that that whole backstory about you know this coincidence of their father having been exploited by mm-hmm. Michael Feast is simply inserted there in order to try and provide some sympathetic motivation for them or at least something that we as an audience can hang on to that is is a little easier to forgive than the motive of pure greed but actually i think you need to go further than that you have to actually oh, yeah. say they are this entire thing is a is a that they're not then i mean in a way it makes more sense if they're not professional industrial spies because they're shockingly bad at it and, and yet shockingly good at the same time. And yeah, well, yes. yes. <laughs> but you could, you, could, you, could, you could get away with that, I think, if you were saying this, this whole thing is a revenge plot. And the things that they pull off well are the, are the kind of things that they pull off with flair, like the theft of the car at the beginning, which is less about being expert in knowing what it is you're going to steal and more about being clever and good, good at good at providing a distraction and you know mm. um yeah, and, the, and we the kind of we, criminal side of it we get from their contact you know i can't you know this you guys don't know what you're doing you should have known there'd be a you know he, he he basically lays out to them that you guys are amateurs at industrial espionage and we'll take what you can get but clearly you don't know what you're doing um so how they managed to get the jobs as models uh, I mean, I guess it's just lucky that both of them are good enough looking that they can get a job as models, or they can pass well, I don't, as models. I don't, and, I don't. I don't think you need to be good at espionage to get a job as a model. Well, you had that, to have that's, something. That's, that's why I think that you don't need to say that that's what they're all about in a way. Well, did they actually get the jobs, or did they like kill the models on their way to the job? I'm assuming. I'm assuming they got the job, but I mean, it's that, that part. And of the it same way she got her job working in the tea shop. Get the working in the tea shop was stretching it. I thought, because even yeah. so there's, there's a scene where Beckett says someone in your setup knew exactly where we were going, where, you know, where the schedule was going to take us. Yep. Now I can, I can believe there was a, there was a prescribed route for this, but I'm, I'm slightly skeptical about the idea that they said, and when you get to this tea shop, pop in and have a cuppa. It's, I'll, I'll go out on the limb and say that that didn't bother me too much because they're, they're right. They want the engine to cool down for 15 minutes. But it would have had to say that in the schedule <clears throat> in order for um, Julie Graham's character to have been based in there. Sorry, I thought that's what Ross said. Rachel Fielding. I thought, I thought what? that's what she said. That, they, that, that it was in the you schedule. Know, you, yeah, that, you know, he says, well, there's a tea yes. shop. In 15 minutes, you'll get to a tea shop. You stop there for 15 minutes. Okay, let the engine cool. That, that sounds kind of like it was part of the plan. Mm. But, you know, I'll, I'll take it one way or the other. It was not, you know, it was, it was not convincingly believable that, that she managed to get the job, managed to get the shift that she needed to get, uh, managed to be the only employee there <laughs> at the time. It was. It makes you think these people are a lot more sophisticated and capable than they appeared to be. And just like them getting into the military area 
and having the technology to blast out the cameras and the the plan to get by the handprint scanner it's like these girls have some serious skills yeah and this is how they choose to employ them you know that they're in some ways they're the equals to our they bugged the they put rigged in the cell phone into the email system It, it all kind of seems like extreme competence with a dash of extreme incompetence on the side I yeah um, I I yeah I agree and I and I think that it's this is this is part of the problem that we don't have a proper sense of who they are actually what we've got are a series of set pieces so maybe disjointed is correct and we need a little bit more not necessarily on the character but certainly on the on the background to them so we understand more about what they're about and I would have been quite happy if they had indeed been as you as you suggest the kind of anti-heroes for our heroes um in fact you know they perhaps they should be an occasional recurring team team of villains as it were in a way except you know what is it that our heroes are doing with these people to let them get away at the end well if 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 you if you had a kind of an acknowledgement of the fact that they recognise they are in the same business, albeit on opposite sides of the legal fence. Well, even then, actually, you've got to be said that our heroes are not exactly strict adherents of the law. It's no. more that they are employed by people with opposing agendas than that there is any moral or legal difference between them. Although, I just want to put in here, Ed, or not Ed, uh, Beckett and Roz also showed equal incompetence to our villains in the bit where their security cameras all went out and they didn't think to check right away with their eyes yeah mm, I said ah that. yeah it's like uh you know something you check out the equipment uh one of us should go down and take a look and would that have even worked if bras had not stupidly stupidly said oh your security guards down there are just useless with all this kit we got on it which proved that to be not true because apparently the security guards weren't there until they did show up late it's a mess that there is a there is a whole a whole lot of mess in that you're you're right that's that's pretty bad i mean it's possibly even worse than ed and beckett sitting in the tea shop and just carrying on drinking tea when the van blocks their view Mm -hmm. and then ed uses the test car for the chase I mean, who'd hire these people? I was just, at, at least the guy then said, well, your boy's an idiot. So I'm thinking, yeah, he bloody is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, I mean, worst case scenario, he wrecks it. Um, you know, that's not the worst case scenario. That's just one of the bad case scenarios. Worst case, he catches him and they, they capture him and get the car, too. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. What, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he's thinking that he wants to see what this thing, super duper engine, can really do, and this is his opportunity to get off that schedule he was chafing at. On the, uh... I yeah, I can see, I can see, I can see what he wants, but well, and, if, you're talking, and, if you're talking about professionalism, yeah, and then, and then you know, we'll, we'll go into the rest of the technology here in a little bit on the car, but the fact that the contrivance at the end is that the military vehicle, which 
we demonstrate moments before won't run over people or cars will uh, run over O'Neill at the end and smash that into really plastic. Needed, that really needed sorting out. I mean, yeah. I was I was pretty outraged by that. Not not the fact that it ran into O'Neill or that O'Neill was zapped, although I did kind of feel that he probably didn't deserve it, but more from the fact that it would have been very easy for, for there to be some some way in which they overrode or disabled or did something to the, those systems at for some reason at the last minute. You know, there was some some need to do it because they wanted to run it into the plasma cage to free I mean mm-hmm. this is their this is their bread and butter, isn't it? Being able to hack into systems and switch on or switch off the, the or override the things that are getting in their way. And they mm-hmm. and they could have done that and we still get the same resolution. But because the thing is still, as far as we are concerned, completely functional, as soon as O'Neill is in front of it, it should stay. It's not even travelling at any, a, di- a different speed from when Ed ran in front of it and stopped it before. It's exactly the same situation. So how do we suddenly get a different outcome? We needed a different outcome. Well, it, it just feels like th- there needed to be a few more passes on the on the structure of this to get to get the things that the story needs actually written in do you feel like i feel like things were removed from this story i mean the character of paul was i don't know he was raising my suspicions the whole time yeah and yet absolutely no payoff on that no he just goes oh calls somebody we don't even know who he calls Says, you know, getting too hot. I'm get, I think maybe he just called the airport. Yeah, he just called the airport and said, oh, I need a flight out of here wherever. I don't care. And and that was the end of it. Yeah. Was he working with the girls? Was he working with somebody else? Was he... Uh, what was that about? Why was he... Yeah. Well, we have, we, we have to assume that he was the source of the schedule, whether he passed it directly to them or... But they got that from their email. Good point, yes. They they had the cell phone, he got it from the email, so now... Yeah, who put that in place, though? Maybe he did do that for them. There had to be... The, the point was, as Beckett says, there has to be an insider for them to have got that schedule. You're right, you're right it did come from the emails, but how did, it, how did the system get hacked in the first place? Yeah, and physically hacked, not just software hacked. They had to get yes. in there and somebody had to rewire their yeah. email system. Because yeah. I hate it when you have to rewire an email system. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure the inbox wires and the outbox <laughs> wires don't get crossed. It's just it's just a terrible thing. <laughs> I know. And when they get clogged up with emails and you've got to get those wires out and clean them. God. Clean them, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I, <laughs> I do kind of sort of appreciate the fact that it was just like half a cell phone stuck oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, I think they did that in a previous episode as well. But yeah, it was just like, <laughs> just plug the phone in and leave it running on our infinite uh, infinite cell phone plan um, in those days. Because I don't think that's the way they worked, did they? They were by, entirely by the minute. Oh, well, you just hack, you into the, hack into the company's billing system. Oh, yeah, there we go. There you go. If they can get in there and get to the wires. <laughs> I mean, Ed may have been the one that tipped them off that it was a trap. Or not Ed, Paul. 
that it was a trap, and uh-huh. so that's why they kidnapped the vehicles. I'm not sure, but it just it really was unclear, and came to nothing. He just got away, so maybe he'll be the recurring villain in the show. Could be, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not itching to see him again. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. There's there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, let's see. Yeah, we have we have this sort of. We'll just mention it here this week. It was Ed's turn to be in peril. Um, Indeed. There's that sort of subplot where Roz is like, "I've never quit on a job yet," and Ed's like, "Yeah, maybe we should quit on this job. Maybe this is this is a bad bad thing. I'll let's quit on it." Roz is like, "No, nah, I'm not going to do it." Like, didn't go anywhere, but except that well, Ed then, except, yeah, it was it was another thing a, to, suge- to suggest that the client is a bad sort and deserves everything he ultimately gets well he was there with a shotgun threatening in everyone including ed who's trying to shout there's a bomb no shut up yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that scene was terrible too yeah you don't say i just need to say something you shut up i gotta tell you you shut up i'm gonna there's a bomb really important i gotta tell you you shut up or i'll shoot this gun but there's a bang okay i'll just <laughs> shut up then <laughs> I'm sure there are umpteen scenes. I'm sure there must be umpteen scenes. Those. I certainly can't put my finger on a particular one, but I'm thinking of K9 trying to tell the doctor something. Master, master not now, K9. Not now, K9. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, Master, there's a bomb. Why didn't you tell me before, K9? I have been trying to tell you, Master. Yeah, yeah. It just. <laughs> but that's played totally for comedy. And. Yes. This was not the moment to be playing for comedy. No. And it didn't come off as playing as comedy. Well, it wasn't either. funny. Right. Right. You just need to say one word. Bomb. What? Bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and point. <laughs> Anything. But no. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Did did you make note of who wrote this in relation to other episodes we've seen? Uh Stephen Gallagher wrote it in relation to other episodes that Stephen Gallagher has written, such as Assassin's Inc. and Down Amongst the Dead Men. And you may have noticed his obsession with the use of technology for military purposes. Well, I say obsession. Um, it, it's certainly a recurrence of that theme from Assassin's Inc. Well, I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what, techno- what drives technology. Sure, absolutely. But, it's um, the military. It, you know, it's, it's um, something he seems to want to write about. And it's quite an interesting um thing in ter- in well in terms of the technology it's not so much the fact that it the the car has a has a, a rear view mirror that, that uses eye tracking or even that it uses touch id on the ignition it's it's the fact that they are predicting self-driving cars in 1995 mm-hmm. and um, i'm sure i saw that on tomorrow's world too well 100 percent accident free motoring by the end of a decade and Okay, that's not Ad- happening, but okay. Admittedly, they were they were a bit on the optimistic side. They they thought it would happen a bit quickly, but actually, I think in terms of how fast self driving technology has come along in recent years, so in the two thousand and teens or whatever you call the last decade, I think people have been surprised by how fast it's come along. So in that sense, it's kind of far sighted. I do want to go over all the things that are that they predict in the in the cars on this. I'm I'm going to ask this question first, though. The self-driving technology was the key marquee feature of the Trancer 
or appeared to be. So important that they held it back from the test driver yes. on the vehicle. They didn't even tell him that the car could do that. Which seems like, you know, uh, two things about that seem like a bad idea. The first is, you know, he he could do something wrong and be surprised, and that could ultimately kind of lead to an accident. And the second is, of all the things they needed to test out in the car, it was apparently the ordinary driving, stopping, starting starting the engine, running off, going down the road, making left and right turns, as opposed to the immensely complicated self-driving technology <laughs> that, yes, and that exactly. needed more road miles. So yeah. even, even compared to an eye-tracking rear-view mirror, I mean, this is why it doesn't, it doesn't strike me that you can sell the importance of this car based on the fact that it uses Touch ID for the ignition. It's actually... Yes. The important thing is that it is a self-driving car, the contrivance is we're not going to reveal this until midway through the car chase because that's a funny place, you know, because day, yeah. Ed, Ed loses control of the car. And if we knew it was a self-driving car, then yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't have the the amusement of that reveal. But, but it now... does it does feel very out of place, given given that that is the key technology, as you say. Given that this is, this is the key technology in the car and that they have been forced to come out with, you know, an introductory bit uh, ahead of their schedule because of leaks, uh, although no mention of it being self-driving, my question is, which came first? Did O'Neill develop this for that military vehicle and adapt it for his consumer car? Or did he develop it for the consumer car and then found a way to work it into a contract for a military vehicle because it doesn't seem like that's the right time to be forking your project. No, and I think if we if we were able to ask Stephen Gallagher that question, I'm not sure he would know the answer. It seems to me like when when you when you get a, when you get into the stealth tank stuff, it is like the episode has taken a bit of a, a left turn, or it's it. It's run out of mileage. Forgive the um, yeah. it's <laughs> automotive metaphor. Yeah, that that there that there wasn't enough story to be had out of the consumer gizmos the, in terms of the the self driving car, and then or the industrial suddenly, espionage, or yeah, uh, yeah, which which I which you know I'm not sure about because it feels to me like by the time you get a nuclear powered self driving stealth tank. <laughs> Uh-huh. You've got far too much in the episode to to um, to actually explore the interesting technology in any meaningful way. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that you could you could probably trying to take a Doomwatch esque thought to this. You could probably structure this story in such a way that you could be wow, wow, isn't this amazing self-driving car technology and all this stuff that they're putting in there. This is gosh darn amazing. And then have them throw you the curveball of going, but of course the dark side of that is that now we have these nasty military vehicles that can do the same thing. And so you could you could be presenting this story as a sort of cautionary tale, but they're not. And because they're not doing it to to add jeopardy in there, then they throw in 
a completely and utterly random bit about the RTGs. Totally real, totally a thing people are concerned about, totally what keeps our Mars rover going for years up there mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Mars. Um, you know, a, a, a real working technology that if it did blow up, you would have a problem. And I, in fact, that's that's what the activists point to mostly in space exploration is that if the rocket blows up on the pad, we got a problem. But, um, which I assume is where he got this idea for the, for the explosion. But, uh, yeah, it just, it's just not well constructed. It's got lots of stuff to work on. I, and, well, and it, well, it has, it, but I mean, when you, when you say the dark side of the, of the self-driving car, what we know now, because these things are becoming a reality, is that the interesting dark side of it is the fact that, so when you say 100% accident-free motoring, you don't get 100% accident-free motoring. Can't have that. There will, there will be accidents. What's interesting about it and dark about it is that the car will now decide what happens in those accidents. So exactly. it will be pre-programmed in an algorithm. And there's a, you know, the, the ethics of that have the insurance dramatic potential in terms of where you could go with the story. If you wanted to take that same idea into a military application, because I get, I mean, I haven't heard anyone talking about these kind of self-driving devices, but we, we know, we, we obviously know there is a certain amount of automation. We've had drones in, uh, in was it in Assassin's Inc. as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, another, another Stephen Gallagher one. But, but you know, the, 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 the possibility that in a battle situation... It's no longer the soldiers who decide whether they are going to sacrifice themselves. It's actually the vehicle that they are sitting inside. So mm-hmm. all of those things have potential. And then on top of that, as you say, I think the idea of a terrestrially based RTG, RTG-driven vehicle has it, has, you know, there's mileage in that too. Oh God, I've done it again, sorry. Uh, but yeah, it, there's plenty there's plenty to 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 explore in all of this and it feels like you know they've 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 been put together in a in an episode and there isn't even really a proper join between there isn't a sense in how adding one of these things enhances the story about the other it's just let let's add a bit more Mm -hmm. i used to work with um, one of my one of my coworkers, as part of her job, she was a lawyer, and she was working on one of the task forces that was attempting to address the legal and ethical issues of self-driving cars. And you know, I I look at it from the standpoint of you know the trolley problem. The, the, yes. You know, the the car is going to encounter a situation where the actions it takes are going to kill one person or another or one person and three. So the, the trolley or tram or whatever it is um, in the, in your own locality is, uh, is progressing down a track and it's going to kill say three people unless you intervene and throw the points. And if, if you throw the points, it will kill one different person and Obviously, out of that arising all sorts of ethical questions about the rights and wrongs of intervention and the uh, doctrines of the act and omission and so forth. 
Yeah, and also then you, that, that problem can be complicated with, well, what if they were three children? Or what if they're three old people and it was one child? Or, you know, all of the variations there where you're trying to weigh the value of human life and whether or not you have the rights to, to make a determination, you know, as, as you say. So I look at it, I, I look at it from the, from the software standpoint, right? It, it, you, because that's my, my speciality, you look at that from the software standpoint, but you have, it has to be sort of reductionist unless we can at some point reach a point where we think AI is capable of producing the correct results in every in every case, but that's a different, you know, that's a different story. But once you've done that, you have codified the behavior that's going to happen. And the, the, what I thought was fascinating in talking with her about this was the legal ramifications of it. Is the programmer, the company that programs it liable for that? Is it, it what wow. if there is a bug? What if it doesn't behave in the way that, that has been approved what if, you know, wh where does the blame fall on that? How does insurance handle it? Because that, that was the, we're in legal insurance was her speciality. But, you know, it, it just. Yeah, there should be an absolute it, law and order out of this. It, it's, it's, it, it's a can of worms, unimaginably large. And yet at the same time, we are absolutely certain that if all cars were behaving in a, pre-programmed and logical fashion there would be vastly fewer deaths overall oh yes Absolutely. right i mean it, it is all it's not all human error but it's darn near all human error and the reason we know there's still going to be accidents is you only need to go out and look at fail blog for a little while on youtube and you will see a car driving down the road and a bolt of lightning hitting a tree that then falls on the car while they're driving at speed you know there are things yes. that cannot be predicted well, by well. So, you know, someone, a cow running and, you know, in front of you, or you know, like, yeah, like or Ed running out in front of a tank, and the tank swerves to avoid Ed. But in order to swerve to avoid Ed, it has to hit something else. So there will be an accident. It's just a question of minimizing the 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 effect of that accident, the damage from that accident. There was no person in that car, but that's the other that's the other aspect of the fascinating um, aspect. If you're in the you're driving the car, and a group of school children walk in front of your vehicle. Your choices are to hit the children at 65 miles an hour or to crash into a wall, likely killing the driver or the, the people in the car, right? Because now that's, you know, yes. is it their liability? Yes. So should they die? Should they be the ones that are sacrificed because they're the ones in the car? And it's a, uh, even though the kids are entirely at fault, they shouldn't have been playing soccer in the street and <laughs> or whatever they were doing. But yeah, it, it's just it's a it's a fasting area, and I and I don't blame bugs for not having thought of it because the fact that they even got to the point of saying we're going to have self-driving cars, they're still looking at it from the standpoint of it being infallibly perfect because he says that basically a hundred percent safety. It's like well. You didn't think that thought through, but you realize that it is going to be vastly better under those conditions. But then you undermine it with a tank running over O'Neill at the end. And it's like, <laughs> wait, there is a point to be made here. Technology fails and it, it, it won't be that way. 
But they never address that. They never bring that thought home that said, I guess it's never going to be 100% safe, is it? We just brush it off and forget the fact that it just did exactly what they said it wouldn't do. And they even showed that it wouldn't do it. Yes. Yeah. Earlier. And I, and I, and I, I do think that that, that is, that is poor. And it would have been, it would have been an answer to think, well, let's think this through a bit more, but I still, I don't know what Doomwatch would have done with this. I mean, may, a lot of Doomwatch is about what if it, what if it does fail? What if the, the confidence that people have in the way the technology functions or the way the technology is used is not actually the way it functions or is the way that it ends up being used. But I, I, I also, I think that it's perfectly possible that if it had occurred, albeit, you know, 25 years earlier to the writers of Doomwatch to think about what would happen if you had a self-driving car, they would have come up with some of these interesting ethical issues. And I suspect you know, we've talked about the fact this is Saturday night show with probably some contractual obligation to fulfil in the number of explosions it provides. <laughs> yeah, at least three. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, it doesn't. It doesn't stop it being disappointing when you do get a a, a fascinating piece of technology like this predicted, and yet ev- ev- even the kind of the, the the simple extrapolation from what it provides is not really explored in any depth. Yeah, so I and this is one of the reasons why I still think I insist and will continue to insist that Doomwatch is a show that we need to be done again. We need this. We need these ideas put in people's minds on Saturday ever. night. Yes. Yeah, more than ever. You know, Sit at home, watch TV, and, and have an idea stuck in your head that that maybe you hadn't thought about. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely one of them. Let, you know what, and it's what been I, about a quarter of a century since they last brought it back, so... Yeah, uh, well, if we want to call it nice. that. Um, <laughs> yeah, well. as, as, we, as we record this, I literally just edited that episode of the podcast three or four days ago so it's very fresh in my mind (laughs) um let's talk about the technology from from that they did predict in this car thumbprint to start your car yeah okay haven't heard of that but but couple things my car does not use keys my car is used well it has keys but i mean it has a fob that in proximity you just push button the car and go. And that's, it's fantastic. I love it. It also has a number of features like uh, if you lock, if you try to leave the car and have the keys inside of it, it knows and beeps at you and won't lock the doors. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have made that mistake once. Although one time I made that mistake when my wife and I both had our keys in the car and I left her in the car while I went into a store and just because it was there was a couple of shady looking people around, I locked the door or tried to lock the door. <laughs> so I got out of the car and it beeped at me. And I'm like, why are you? Oh, my wife's got her keys. Okay, fine. <laughs> so that stuff is, that's cool. And, and but, but I, I, Apple I has car key now, which, you know, is only in high-end vehicles, which is using the biometrics on your phone to unlock and start your car. So, so you can do that. Well, yeah, I mean, Touch ID still exists. So, but I don't, I don't know if any are in production yet. 
I know the APIs out there and it's in the operating system. I'm not sure any of the Mercedes or BMWs that support it or Rolls's or whatever have come off the production line yet. But it, it's a it's coming. It's coming. Biometric it, car starting. It's one of, so. one of those things where it's it's the kind of technology that not every time I hire a car and it does something else that surprises me, um, you know, the handbrakes vanished and like you say, everything is everything's on a fob and there aren't any real keys and the dashboard is connected to your phone and it talks to you and all the rest of it. And so the idea that you could start you could start the car by touching the touch ID on your phone, I wasn't sure whether that was something that was already around or just something that I'd heard about or just something I just extrapolated from the fact this technology is now ubiquitous. The technology's out there, but it, it's, it hasn't... It hasn't reached critical mass in the auto industry yet, although it's, you know, it's coming, but they're kind of slow, slow to move. And another cool feature, and this is not an ad for Apple, but it's just, you know, to talk about the, the technology idea, what's really cool about that is that if you came over here, I could go to my phone and I could shoot a temporary key to you Whoa. on your phone. And then you could drive my car. I could, you know, I could give you an authorization to drive it for a week and then there you go. Nice. And then after that, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Putting a thumbprint reader in the car, bad idea. Yes. Right? It, it is actually a bad idea because, you know, what happens when you get your fingers cut off or <laughs> it's like a, a variety well, of same things. same thing happens but, to your phone. But. but you have alternate authentication on the phone and it's not, you know, they're... It, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's just—it's so much more logical now. With yes, with, now, now we have smartphones for it, for it, for the phone itself to do for to start the car and us to authenticate using the phone's interface. I can't. This is where I do forgive the the writers of the show in nineteen ninety five mm-hmm. from not predicting the ubiquity of smartphones with Touch ID interfaces. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly picking on them. I think it's they've been thinking of ahead. This is kind of like, wouldn't it be great if we had a jetpack? But <laughs> no, actually, it's not. But nonetheless, you know, the, eventually something's going to come out of that. That'll be a variation of it. It won't be as such a, a, a horrific idea, perhaps. But anyway, the rear view mirror. We, we make fun of the rearview mirror, and rightly so, because what is the value of a mirror that keeps turning when you move your eyes? Think about that for a second, because that's what it was doing when Ed was looking at it. The mirror kept changing position. I can see that. That is not right? how mirrors work. No. But... If, if you look at the mirror and the mirror changes position, and then you want to look somewhere else in the mirror, and your eyes scants to the right, and then the mirror moves again, you're not able to see what it is you're trying to see. The mirror doesn't know what you're trying to see. The mirror just knows where your eyes are. But it could predict so, what you're trying to see. I, that is perfectly feasible. Mm, so you, I move, think, you, you, move, you, move, you move your eyes to the left. Actually, you can't, you can't see that much more in the mirror doing that. You probably also have to move your head to the right. Unless, if you move your eyes to the left, the mirror tracks, tracks round as well to give you more of you to the left. Suddenly... You can keep your head still, but you can just move your eyes around, and it can help you see what you need to see. Do you know what's better? A wide-angle camera on the back of the car. Works so much better. Got one of those on oh, mine. Okay. Because oh, it only comes on when car, you back last, up. Yeah, la- yeah that's but, the, la- the, the last car I, I hired. I found that when I... The, 
the whole dash screen when I went into park as soon as I started reversing it showed me a picture of what was behind the car all the listeners wonderful got all this in yeah. their cars already so they go oh god what a luddite but it showed me a picture of what was behind the car with the lines of yep. where I should be going to park and and superimposed on them where I was going to park with the steering wheel in the current position so yep it's it's it and there are cars now that even have uh, i think additional cameras so that you've got you know like side views and so it yeah i, I mean it it's it's there the other problem with a moving mirror is that when it breaks and you do have to take that into account your mirror is stuck in the wrong spot so yeah no it's it's kind of um it's it's kind of a, a an interesting idea, but I think that one probably is a fail. Although I will say this, my last car did have some form of electronic adjustment when bright headlights came up behind me. Ah, oh, now that is useful. Yes. Yeah, and it would it would dim the thing. You know how the headlights uh, mirrors used to have that little toggle switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To fling them, this one would do it electronically, and it never broke on me, which is good. And I had that for you know, 10, 12 years. So, I mean, it's not, not new either. But, uh, so, you know, there are things that can be done in the review. Uh, automatic gearbox. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys are kind of behind us on the automatic transmission scale. Um, uh, there's still more manual transmissions are still more popular in Europe than they are in the United States. But, again, really? my current, yeah. Yeah, they're they're almost a thing of the past in the United States now, and in fact, God. the one the car I have has something different. It's a Prius, and which is requires that there's some magic to be done in there. But it's it's a gear an infinitely variable gearbox that it doesn't. It's not even like the old style automatics where you put it in drive and you can feel it shifting. It's not doing that. It's some sort of continual electronically controlled it's neat it works well i i you know but the people who are like no i gotta have my stick shift because i know better than them car how to drive it uh, (laughs) usually are wrong um you know it's it's designed for gas mileage and safety well you know this may be be a cultural difference if us europeans are like this but again the last car i hired kept telling me what gear i should be in even though it was often quite obviously wrong. So I'm not that sure I can't, you trust it. That, and I can't say I, I say, I know that the reason that they have it in the Prius is because the Prius is a gas sipper, right? It's designed yeah. to be absolutely use as little power as possible. And, and it's good at that. And the part of that is people tend to not shift optimally you know there's always somebody who maybe is but it's you know that's a bell curve and most people Mm. don't and and so i I don't miss them i've had plenty of standard transmission cars um but i don't miss them so let's see touch suspension i actually know that there are cars that have that if if it's what i think it is that's the ability to toughen up and and soften up the the ride of the car yeah electronically i'm not i've never understood why anybody would want that but but it's there um when we're looking at the automatic driving 
What I do think interest is interesting about their prediction is that the job is not to get you to the supermarket and home or to work and home. The job is, oh, if you're driving funny, we're going to take your car home for you. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering if that is like supposed to represent, I think you might be drunk. Let's get you home. Ah, that's uh, interesting. I, I don't know, but it was like, all right, maybe that's just what it's programmed with. I hadn't, I hadn't thought track. of that. I, I thought it was literally just it, the it was capable of being programmed to go to the supermarket or to do the school run or whatever it is. Maybe the, the only program they had because all they all they're going to do is take it out of the out of the the um, factory and then take it back to the factory. And so, in that sense, it only makes sense to program it to go back to the factory. You drive it out somewhere set it on auto, check that it can drive itself home. And then clearly, you know, that, that'll that take care of all of the kind of initial stages of testing. Once that's all fine and everything is working, then you then you want to try out some alternative programs. And sure. Take, take the driver to this roadside tea shop. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> See be. how it goes. Um it did seem like the car was being a little bit on the uh, very, very conservative side on its way home, right? It, it did mm-hmm. seem like it was probably driving 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. and uh, Definitely compared but, to Ed's driving. Well, yes, yes. But, yeah, but is that is that the right answer if you're driving recklessly? Or should maybe it just pull over to the side of the road? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things. It's a programming problem. And I have to, have to give that more thought than that. Obviously, for this episode, that's what they needed it to do because they needed you to know that that military vehicle bomb was going to go back to base and blow it up. It, it, yeah, it yeah. had to be that sort of inexorable uh, coming disaster. But I think what was interesting in terms of the car itself was the fact that they anticipated that the self-driving element would be a kind of backup and that they they it, it it's all set up for ed to drive it as a normal car and not have any sense that there is any automation or difference from how you would drive a 1995 car I mean, ev- everything must have felt like driving a fully manual car or or within range that he thought you know it could be something to do with a, the special engine or something in there that they didn't really get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Conversation they, to, but but it might not. Yeah. It might not feel exactly the same, but that is generally it. And it, what it seems to reflect is a kind of sense that people won't want to use the self-driving facility most no, of the they time. Won't. They want See, to use it there as an, as an added extra. Whereas if I had a self-driving car, it would self-drive all the time. You know, that's that's very interesting because. Um, I am with you on that. I look forward to the day when, you know, because there are not just that I could have a car that could drive where I've wanted to, but but there's a, a you know, a real sense that I don't need to own a car yeah. at that point. You know, I can just, I can have a car that shows up when I need it to from a fleet and take me where I need to go and go back. But I think it falls into the exact same crowd. And, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely people here that... Well, you know, give me a stick shift or or I'll die. I'm not I'm not <laughs> driving any of that stuff. There there are there are absolutely people like that. 
and they want to feel in control. I, I, you know, I, I, I am better than a machine. We, they've been taught that their entire lives. I mean, this is the history of science fiction is to teach you that mankind is better than machines. Well, that's a lie, folks. I'm going to tell it to you here and now. Machines are better than you. And when they learn to drive, they will drive better than you. And, you know, there, there may be a transition period, but eventually they will do whatever you do better because that's what humans do. That's what humans do well. We make things that work well. And, um, you know, perhaps without looking at all the unintended consequences, but eventually traffic safety will be vastly superior when the automated cars are on the road. And the real problems will be the humans who refuse to allow the car to drive itself. They will be the ones that we need to watch out for because they will be the ones killing people and causing accidents. That will will need to be regulated, I think. The, The interesting thing is that I think at the moment there is a mentality, at least again, I mean, it's a question whether there is a cultural difference over that, but there is a mentality that it's not necessarily an end... The, the end that you're after to get from A to B or to get to the supermarket or to to whatever it, wh- mm. wherever it is you want to go. It's actually that the, the owning and running and driving a car is an end in yep. itself. That driving a car that too. is is a, a, a pleasurable experience, which I can kind of understand. I don't particularly enjoy it myself. I do enjoy riding my bike, so I guess you know in my in my mind I can sort of work out where it's where true. this is all coming from. And yet there is a generation coming who will have a completely different attitude to this. They will think that what I'm interested in is transport as a service. I want to, for the the money I pay, I want to be taken from A to B with as little fuss and effort as possible. In much the same way as for the money that I pay, I want to be able to listen to the music that I want to be able to listen to with as little fuss and effort as possible. And if that means having Spotify streaming over the internet on my phone so that I don't have to have shelves and shelves of CDs to have a much more limited selection or whatever, that is what they will do. And people like me, I know, are the dinosaurs who hang on to our physical media and Mm -hmm. like the idea of owning these things for the sake of owning these things rather than for the sake of being able to watch whatever it is we want to watch whenever we want in much the same way as we're talking about being able to to uh, get transport from wherever you want to wherever you want. But it is, it's kind of insane to think that people will own self-driving cars and make, uh, you know, a, a, an hour or two's uh, trip on the road in a day and then leave that thing parked on the tarmac, uh, you know, in front of their house, as they do with their vehicles now when that thing is perfectly capable of going off and earning you a load money. of money yep. running errands for other people. Yep. Yep. Although I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are people who do it. People who are, are not, not with self-driving cars, but I mean, okay, so Uber drivers, right? They're using their cars to transport other people. Those people mm-hmm. are getting in their cars. Those people are uh, vomiting in their cars. Those people are, you know, wearing out the seats in their cars i would never do that with my car if if i were letting the thing go i I would never be an uber driver for those reasons alone 
Sure, but, but have you taken? And you I wouldn't loan my car. Nope, I have actually never taken oh, an Uber. Okay. But I, but then I own my own car, and I, in, I do enjoy driving. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I totally get the enjoyment of driving. But at the same time, part of the enjoyment of driving is diminished by the fact that I'm also hypercritical of the people who are idiots driving around me. And I have made mistakes. And I know that there are people that are looking at the things I've done in a car sometimes and been shouting at me in the same way, going, yeah, stupid idiot, because it happens. Humans make mistakes. I make mistakes. And if it will be better, I will embrace I will embrace it. You know, we, we can't forget to talk about the Tesla, which, you know, apart from the, the whole electric car luxury end, does have a self-drive mode that practically works. You know, it's not perfect mm. and it's not designed, you know, it, it's not it's not configured in such a way that you can just say, do this. But that's not because it can't do it. It's because mm-hmm. it's programmed not to let you do it. Yes. And there are people that override that and let it drive anyway. And a few of them have been in accidents. Um, but, you know, if you figure there's a few of them have been in accidents, there's a whole lot more that haven't. And But there's also, there's also all the people who are driving their own cars who have been in accidents, which, has, as you say, people make mistakes. But we are talking about people who are steering around tons and tons of, of of metal and it's yes mistakes will happen but mistakes can happen when you're riding a bike and mm-hmm. the number of people get hurt is minimal whereas the number of people who get injured and killed in road accidents day after day after day is extraordinary and we don't seem to have done anything about it yet self-driving cars are on the horizon and as you say they are going to cut all of this right back but but I, I guess also where I was going on that was that these are people who have bought incredibly expensive electric cars, in my opinion, incredibly mm-hmm. expensive. I, you know, I generally speaking, I think the cost of a car is outrageous, but that's just me being cheap. Um, but Teslas are outrageously expensive. They're sexy. I mean, I know somebody who's got one and it's damn, it's a nice car, but. <laughs> You know, it, it's definitely the kind of car that if you bought that car, you enjoy driving cars. You, yes. you want to, you know, you want to be driving that car. You want to you want to be seen on it. You want to have fun driving it. You want to take it out on the road. You want to do stuff. And yet those people are going in and doing things to override it and let the car drive by itself. So obviously the experience of self-driving is alluring enough even to people who are vested in the idea of owning and driving a car, that, that that's well, yes. happening. So well, there is, you know, it may not be as bad as we think it will be. Uh, you know, it may just be people in Alabama that don't want to have self-driving cars. I don't know. Um, but Well, it, no, it, I'm, lo- I'm, I'm looking forward to there being many, many fewer cars lining the streets of our cities because the cars that are on the roads are being utilized far more. So yep. I you know I'm welcoming that. But I th- and, but and I think know- I think I think possibly because there it, it's not just owning and running a car is an end in itself because you like driving. It's also there is another aspect to owning a car which is the status symbol part of it. Yep. And so I can believe that there are people who buy Teslas and override them 
to make them self-drive. But I'm still wondering if part of the reason why they're buying the the Tesla is not just the experience of being driven in your own car, but the fact that they are able to say, I've got a Tesla. Uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And so, you know, if they do make fleets of self-driving cars that are hired out, you know, they're going to be boring looking cars, too, because people aren't going to want to buy those. But, um, yeah, I and I mean, we might as I might as well throw this out there just since we're on the topic and completely divorced from the the episode. (laughs) But because it is fascinating topic, Um, you know, you, you live in Europe and Europe is a very different place than the United States. I, not only do I live in the United States, but I live in the Western United States, which is not dense. You know, the population is not dense. Public transportation is a problem here. Mm. Nobody wants to take public transportation. Nobody, but, you know, a lot of people don't want to take pra- public transportation because it is simply not practical. The number of miles of bus routes that we have in Phoenix is unbelievable. I mean, you know, it must be thousands of miles of bus routes. And you can never get a bus when you want one because it's so far between them. Mm-hmm. And and everything is so spread out. It it could be, you know, it could be 60 miles to a restaurant that you wanted to go to in this town. And that would be at least four bus transfers. And you, you'd be hours. You'd be, you'd be hours. I knew people who tried to bus to work and they would have to, take two three hours to get to work whereas you could drive it in in half an hour and it's not economical in your time in your time and thing infrastructure projects like trains and light rails and whatnot are you know even harder to justify because you've got to run between you've got to run between dense areas of great interest where you put the stops and so they're they're not they're not great. The idea of fleets of self-driving cars that can go anywhere they need to in the town and get you to anywhere you need to in the town could be such an amazing game changer in the United States in places like here, where it just it just doesn't make... I mean, I have a, I have a train station, believe it or not, a mile from my house. Mm. And that's... There is one light rail that runs through town. It does go through the center of this town and the center of, you know, Arizona State University. And and what, so, you know, my daughter could theoretically get on a train if we weren't locked in on pandemic and she could get within a mile of my house and you could catch a bus in 20 minutes or you could just walk it unless it's July and it's 120 degrees, right? Then that, that might as well be 100 miles away <laughs> from here, <laughs> right? So... Um, it, it's, there are issues, there are issues and, and self-driving car fleets would solve so many of them. It it could, it could change, it change the world as we understand it. So, you know, I, I really like the fact that they were touching on, on self-driving cars as a thing in this episode. I just kind of felt that they were sort of, uh, you know, it was fascinating to see what they were thinking at that time. And it's fascinating to, to see what we're thinking now, uh, of you know, with with you know, twenty years of twenty years of thinking about the idea on, behind it. Um, I did notice a couple things that were missing in the car. Um, that you know, having as I said, just just uh, edited the podcast for Doomwatch Winter Angel was very fresh in my mind uh, the other day. No fax machine in the car. <laughs> 
Uh, no radar detector, uh, no printer, and no computer voice interface. Mm, yeah. I, I don't... I, we haven't seen anything that's computer voice in bugs yet, so... Or have we? No, I don't think we I have. We did, but I, I, may be, I may be thinking of Winter Angel now. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to do without a printer. Um... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that that, that cross off like, oh, it's going to be the car. And that, I guess that's the other thing, right? I thought when we got into this, they were talking about building up the car. I thought we were really going to see something amazing with the car. It was going to be it was going to be a big part of this episode, and it really wasn't. No, it really wasn't. And and the, like I say, the way they threw in the self driving was an afterthought for a gag and foreshadowing mm. for the, the the mobile bomb later yeah. on. But yeah, yeah. Um, so you think that was the best tag scene yet? Yes. Yes. I mean, it was, it was kind of not awful. (laughs) I I gotta say this. I, when I watched it, particularly when it started, when they opened shot of the, of the car track, the huge toy art in the RC car, toy car track in Roz's place. I really did in my mind here. I I heard the Avengers tag scene music in my mind. It's it, instantly. I mean just upon upon the very shot of that ridiculous race car sitting in her living room and I thought, okay, this is the unreality scene in the show. And and yeah. And that came into my mind. But that's that's what it is. I mean, you have to you have to accept that, that it's lineage and the fact that it is intending to do something silly. But the problem with some of the tag scenes is that they've not just been silly; they've been quite nasty. And this one is not just relatively benign and light-hearted, but it has a connection to the episode. So I. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fine. It it did feel more like an Avengers one than any one that they had, and not just that, but it's the bit where he where he says, "Are you guys going to be a while?" And Ed and Roz both simultaneously do that. We'll look underneath the table. Yes, and and show us the plutonium core of the not RTG that they have powering it, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I get why they. Why do they get to take a plutonium core home? <laughs> that was that was the uh, the bit, the other bit where you're just like, okay, this just is totally divorced from reality here. And this show, I, I think I may have mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. The, the New Avengers, I haven't seen it in in decades, and and I haven't had a chance to rewatch it lately, and. I remember it kind of fell flat. It wasn't that I didn't like Steed or Purdy or Gambit or anything like that, or even the TR7, because I used to have one like that, um, that, that they drove around in. I, it just fell flat because it didn't know what it was supposed to be. And the Avengers, I never had any trouble watching the, the Emma Peel and Tara King episodes. I never had any trouble watching those and going, this is a fantasy. The new Avengers... It's like this is this is reality with existing on the fringes of a fantasy universe. 
Bugs has taken that one step further. I feel like they want us to believe that they're in a, re- a, a fantasy universe like this, but there's no clues to it. There's, there's nothing about it that, that sets it as absurd when you're watching it. He, he, I watch it and I, I feel like it's supposed to be dead serious, and yet it can't possibly be. <laughs> so I think that's a failure on their part. I don't think they've got the mix right for what they're doing. I don't think that is the problem with this show. I mean, I th- I I like the mix. I also like the new Avengers. I think that what what you're referring to in the Avengers itself is the result of essentially four or more seasons evolution of absurdity out of what was initially yes. much like this, quite carefully grounded but with elements that were unusually exciting, extraordinary, glamorous in some ways. And I think that is what each subsequent show has done. And yeah, there are definitely episodes of The New Avengers where you can point at where they were finding their way with it. And in trying to find their way or trying to to kind of work out what the limits were or where they'd set the tone, they fell flat or they they strayed beyond what the parameters of the show really allowed you to do. I mean, actually, I think you can point to that in really late Avengers because Pandora is very odd in relation to the story structure of the show. And I think some of the some of the new avengers that's true of as well what'll be interesting watching bugs back to back or you know watching every every episode of bugs rather than dipping into it just because i didn't have anything better to do on a saturday night will be to see to what extent does the show actually over a longer run than the new avengers have almost twice the length i guess do, do, does it actually find its feet because it already feels like it's got a sense of the balance between fantasy and reality but it doesn't feel like it it necessarily has the confidence that you're talking about the avengers having had hmm well i guess we'll we will find out what time um next time we are looking at episode seven which is called mana from heaven if i am not mistaken Mm -hmm. do you have anything else on this episode before we go no that's it for me All right. Well, uh, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next week on Fusion Patrol, we'll be talking about the tasty-sounding Star Hunter Redux episode entitled Eat Sin. Come join the conversation.